Hey, and welcome to the Girl Live Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, LaToya Addy, and thanks for tuning in. Each week, I'll have conversations that give you real life tools to get clear, feel aligned, and be confident so that you can break through anything that holds you back from living life to your fullest potential. Hello, and welcome to another podcast um, of Girl Live Unleashed. Today, I will be speaking with Sharice Davis, and she is a member of the Cobb County Board of Education, um, which she joined in January 2019 after a 15-year career in education. After growing up in New York City and Orlando and spending summers with her family in Puerto Rico, Davis moved to Georgia to attend Spelman College and received a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology. She started her teaching career working with kindergartners and helping them to develop a love for learning. After obtaining a Master of Library and Information Science, she became a library media specialist and taught students in grades K through six. Davis most recently served as the Assistant Branch Manager and Youth Services Librarian with the Public Library System. She lives in the Smyrna Vinings area with her husband, Sean, and her two boys that attend Cobb County Schools. Sharice is an avid school volunteer and has served on the local school council and leadership boards of the PTA and Parent Foundation. As a Cobb County resident for 10 years, Sharice draws upon her experiences as an educator and a mother to serve the students and employees of the district. So without further ado, let's jump right to it. So, Sharice, please tell us about yourself in your own words. Okay, so um, I'm Sharice Davis. I am on the Cobb County School Board, and I'm a mom. I'm, uh, I've got two boys, uh, one in ninth grade, one in fifth grade, but I really got here on this journey uh, because I was an educator for a really long time. So I taught kindergarten uh, for about eight years, and then I was a media specialist for seven. And after that, went into the public library uh, field. And this is what I'm doing now. I'm on the school board part-time. Um, it is a part-time role and uh, just seeing what's what's next for me. And that is interesting. So our kids are definitely, they go to the, well, I believe they both go to the same school. You said you have a ninth grader. So he used to go to the school with my oldest. And we have um, children at the elementary school. And so I just really, um, I think before you ran for office, I um, remember sitting with you at the principal's house um, at the PTA party and just kind of hearing your thoughts. And um, I was just like, you know what? I I can feel the passion and definitely the experience. And so I thought that it would be really cool to just kind of after now that since you've been serving um, on the board since 2019, um, to really just sit down and kind of hear what your heart is now. Yeah. Yeah. And so who would you say is your biggest role model that has shaped you today? I mean, I, 
you know, I always think about uh, my parents. I mean, you know, it's, I just remember, um, I remember them going through a lot um, in the workplace and always having these hurdles and they didn't really talk to us kids about it a whole lot. Um, but I saw them and I saw them um, just overcome a lot. Um, you know, my father was someone who was born uh, 1939 in South Carolina, found his way to New York, like a lot of African-Americans at the time. Um, met my mom whose family came from Puerto Rico for her parents wanted to provide them a better life, better opportunities. and. Um, you know, I'll tell you one thing that my mom did that just, you know, it just, there's no, no, right. She, um, she was working a job, um, in bookkeeping, but really doing all of the accounting work, which of course paid more was, you know, a, a higher position. Yeah. And, um, she went for an accounting job that she could definitely do and do a great job and actually was already doing. And, mm -hmm. um, and they told her no, because she didn't have an accounting degree. And my mother did have a, have a college degree she had a bachelor's degree um but they said no you don't have the degree in it so you can't do the job so she goes back <laughs> as a woman in her 50s at the time and went back to school and got that bachelor's degree in accounting so that she could get the job that she was already doing but you know they told her no you have to have this and she's like bet <laughs> and so it's just the idea that you know, when, when other people are trying to keep you, um, you know, I say from being great, you know, you, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta keep on going and, you know, you gotta sit with the feelings of it because, you know, it is a lot, right. And there, there are going to be moments where it's so frustrating. Um, but you know, you gotta, you gotta keep going. Cause it's really also not about you, you know, it's about, um, you know, in her case, she thought, you know, she was doing this also for her family, but certainly in my role, this is about kids, not my kids, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's in, in long-term, like, what does this district look like? What's important? Yeah. And that it's, it's good that you say like some of the things that you said, that you sit in the things, not only for yourself, yeah. but for others. Yeah. And I find that a lot of times people forget that part or not that they forget, but that it is kind of like, it overshadows how you feel at the time. Yep. And then it's kind of like, okay, I need to get outside of me and really push past that um, to really carry um, people forward, um, whatever that may be. Um, you know, whether that be in the workplace, in education or whatever. And I love that you also said, um, you know, that she was doing the job and already had the experience. Um, I feel like a lot of times when people, um, they kind of throw the college degree in there as a layer to kind of um, deter people from doing things. And I find that, you know, experience trumps, um, you know, not necessarily college as a whole, but I feel like college gives you an, an experience. And you leverage that experience in your workplace. Yep. Um, but you can't also negate actual on the job or, you know, real life experience. It's almost arbitrary, right? It's something that we've just created that, you know, you have to go and get this four-year degree. You have to follow these certain steps for us to right. feel like, okay, you're on this track. 
when, you know, nothing could be further from the truth and we're just not there yet. And it's something that, um, you know, we definitely have to talk about and we have to just acknowledge because, you know, a lot of our kids just, they can't, they can't do that for a lot of reasons. They're not going to, they're not on the four year track and we take for granted you know, that we could sit here and talk about the FAFSA or anything like that. And right. for another family, they're like, the what? You know, <laughs> and they're never going to be able to even sit there and fill it out for, again, all kinds of reasons. And so, you know, we've got brilliant children who, um, you know, are not on a track to do what we consider in this country to be, um, you know, a successful, you know, um, adult life, you know, career and any of that. So... Yes. And so what made you really run for school board? Uh, you know, like all things, I'm a mom who was asked to do something. Um, <laughs> it's just like, you know, I have that problem. I'm actually, it's funny because I'm now, I'm just now getting to a place where I can say no to things, but I don't, I can't even tell you an example right now. So don't even ask me. Um, but you know, that also, I'm, I'm a certain age now. I just turned 40 um, last year. And so, you know, it's these new decades of life really kind of bring a fresh perspective. But um, someone asked me about it and they said, hey, your, your school board member who is coming up for re-election. And I was kind of like, okay, that's nice. <laughs> what does that have to do with me? And, um, and they were like, well, have you ever thought about running? I was like, no, you know, because this is the thing, like teachers just, you know, we, we are in our classrooms. There's not a whole lot of opportunity to do anything outside the classroom. Um, you can become a principal, of course, or an assistant principal, but that's really it. Right. And so you kind of just get in this mode of, you know, I'm in my class, you know, just kind of, and especially as you get older or you have more years of experience, there goes experience again, you know, you're kind of like, just kind of leave me alone. Like, you know, I'm going to, I got this, I got my kids, like, you know, um, I'm going to do a good job, leave me alone, you know? Um, so someone asked, and again, it was just like, I had never in a million years thought about that. That was something other people did. But awesome. what I did do was take a look at the board. And I, I knew about the board. I had watched board meetings. I wouldn't say like regularly, but I'd watched board meetings. I had even spoken at a board meeting. Um, the PTA um, asked me to speak when we were getting that uh, addition added to Teasley. And so um, there was a push there. And actually that, that day is when they awarded um, the contract. So, so that, was, that was good. I had a positive experience, you know, going before the school board. I was a nervous wreck at the time, but yeah. Um, and so I looked at the board and there was one woman on it. And, um, you know, I, as somebody who has been in education my entire adult life, like, and of course, as a child, um, you know, women are still 80% of the education workforce. Uh, you go around you PTA meetings. Again, we were we were at the principal's house, as you alluded to, which that seems forever ago, but you know, it was all the mamas, you know, <laughs> like, and dads are involved too. But I mean, you know, it is it's women, right? And and we see that now with the pandemic, like all of the women that have been affected by by this and by schools not being open or and or being on a on a different schedule than um, they were. It has really affected women and their ability to to work and it's all on us to both make sure the kids are okay and also in this generation make money and you know it's it's all the things so um I looked at the board and I almost felt like it was uh, like a, a duty like because I was in a position because I had um 
a group that was willing to support me, meaning coaching me on all things campaigning, which of course I knew nothing about. Um, I had knocked on doors, you know, for a couple of people before, you know, good. Of course, knocked on doors, you know, for when Obama was running, but that's all I knew. So um, here we are. I mean, it, and I'll say this, there was no, um, there was no guarantee. We didn't really know a whole lot because a lot of times when school board members run, they don't run against anyone. So there wasn't like there was this data in place that was like, oh, if you run, you're going to win. Like, no, it was just a matter of running and showing people that these seats should be contested. There should be challengers giving people, giving the voters an option when they go to vote. Um, and just kind of, you know, giving people a nudge that way. Not really knowing that there was even a chance to really win like um so here we are and in in that you said you know that there was only one woman serving on the board yeah. and so now that you are um on board mm -hmm. and there's still only one woman yeah. Yeah. um how does it feel to be the only woman on the board um you know, <laughs> it's been interesting because this is this is what I tell people. Like, I have been in a female-dominated industry field forever since I was 21 years old, and um, you know, in in teaching and in the public library system, system, which is what I did most recently. You know, you'd be hard pressed to find men. You know, working. I mean, you know, it's it's gotten better, and, and in certain situations, um, that's not as much true. But you know, certain um, school levels and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, I've never had the issue of feeling like I wasn't heard or, you know, uh, the, the term mansplaining, like I couldn't really say that that was, um, because men who are also in those fields are also the type of people who understand like what, the, where they are, <laughs> and who they're working with um, for the most part. Of course, that's not, you know, a blanket, blanket thing, blanket rule, but, um, you know, they, they get it. So even in those environments, when you are interacting and there's, you know, different genders and gender roles or whatever, like, um, it's not anything I personally have ever noticed and, and felt, but now that I've been on the school board, um, you know, I remember there was a time when, um, I brought up something and I was pretty sure I knew what I was talking about, but see, that's the woman thing where you kind of like, I mean, I had done hours of research and like, you know, because I don't like to talk about anything that I don't know about. And so, and I'm a librarian and a teacher. And so I like learning and I had done the work and um, we're sitting there and this is in the meeting, right? So it's, it's on video somewhere. And, um, you know, I said something and then I had one man say, you know, I don't really know, but that's not right. And then I had a second man say basically the same thing. I don't really know, but that's not right. And again, so the woman in me, like, I just, I don't, I just get to, I don't need a lot of back and forth. I'm not trying to like get into it with people is how that, because I do in that moment, I do feel like I do, I, and I, it's not good, believe me, but I, I do feel like, oh, was I, did I mistake something? Did I misunderstand something? Um, am I wrong, you know? And, 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 and I'll, I'll kind of fall back, you know? Um, which, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that's the way to go because I wish a lot of times that I, I was not like that. Um, you would think, I would like it if that got, got me a little bit more um, 
credit, you know, because I'm not just trying to be right to be right. Like, you know, I, and I'm willing to hear other perspectives, but I think it's mansplaining. I remember going on Facebook and just putting it on, writing a post that said, mansplaining takes a whole new level, takes on a whole new level when you start off by saying you don't really know (laughs) what you're talking about. You're like, I don't know, but I don't think you're right. Um, And sure enough, you know, I went home and I, did all the same research that I had already done. And of course, you know, I was right. Um, so it's just, that's, a, that's just like one example of something that happened, but you know, men don't do all that, that kind of um, line of, you know, thinking that I just told you I went through in that situation. Like men don't do that. You know, they just say it, you know, if somebody questions it and tell them why they're wrong and like, just do all that. And so, you know, I do, um, you know, I do have to find a way to make sure that I am, I am heard and, you know, and, and I'll say to you got to have, you know, sometimes there's stuff that one of my uh, colleagues, you know, Dr. Howard, it's so funny, like, he'll notice when some things are like, you know, a little, little misogyny at play there, even before I do sometimes, which is actually pretty funny, because that's what you need too. you need allies who are like, yeah. you know, Yes, yes. And who are going to um, see it and call it out when needed um, and also operate in a way to make sure that you are because we're at the table. I'm at the table, but that's right. just the start that and that's something I've I had to learn since I've been on this board the last couple of years being, you know, getting to the table. That might actually be the easy part. Mm. So. Yeah. It, it's it's crazy that you say that because a lot of times, you know, we hear a lot mm-hmm. in society and that kind of cre- create a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, but it's, to me, I feel like it really does need to be taken a step further. Like once you get to the table, you need yeah. to be heard and you need to, there needs to be reception um, to what it is that you're saying and not discreditation. Um, so it's, it's really interesting that you, um, brought that up. And so in like serving on the board, what do you see as, um, the board's roles and responsibilities and maybe not like as, um, kind of like verbatim or kind of specific to each role, but just kind of like as a whole. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because. Uh, this is something you learn like when you're on the board, right? And so I, I've made it my mission to help other people understand it. Again, wearing that teacher hat, education has been really important to me because I feel like there's so much we don't know um, that I surely didn't know about the board and what they do. And and when you don't know so much, you, you start feeling like, you know, people are trying to hide stuff from you. So there's really, the school board actually only really has three big jobs. And uh, one is to evaluate the superintendent. The board is the only group entity, uh, you know, obviously working as the seven of us in Cobb um, to hire a superintendent, let go of a superintendent. Um, and then we also are charged with creating policy, which in Cobb, we don't do a whole lot of, but if you ever hear, um, you know, uh, media stories on other school districts or you know, even watch another school board meeting. I mean, there are a lot of ideas that are coming from the board that it's then the superintendent's job to to carry out how they see fit. So yes, there is a line uh, where, because the superintendent's supposed to 
do all the operational day-to-day stuff. And then the board is more like big picture. Um, But there's, of course, a relationship there. And there's a way for the board to um, set priorities and things that um, you know, they, they want to see, but letting the superintendent figure out how best to do that. Um, it's really not that complicated. People make it complicated, uh, especially if you're not trying to do anything, um, but it's not. And there's so many examples of some really good work happening between uh, boards and superintendents. And then lastly, um, the budget. You know, we have a huge budget. I will point out that Cobb's budget is in line with a lot of the other Atlanta metro area budgets. Um, APS being an example, APS is half our size, yet we have roughly the same budget. So, um, you know, our uh, per pupil expenditure is not a lot. It's less than the state's average. And so that's that amount of money that we have to educate our children, which if you hear it and it's 9,000 something dollars, you think, oh, that's a lot of money. But our $1.2 billion budget is 92% of it is personnel costs. So not just salary, healthcare costs. I tell people all the time, you right. know, I don't know about your healthcare, but I know mine, it only goes up every year. We know healthcare is expensive. So, um, and, and also pension and things like that. And so um, roughly all of the money <laughs> is going just to, to employing the people um, that we need to, to, to run the school district leaving only about a hundred million dollars to carry out like all the other stuff, you know, and there's a lot of other stuff. Um, so I think Cobb, you know, they, they do well with uh, the money they have that, you know, we win all kinds of awards and things like that for our uh, financial department. But I think the issue is that, you know, we can all talk about some of the needs um, that we have in our schools and, you know, even something like counseling or smaller class sizes, which you can only get if you hire more teachers, like all of the, all of that takes money. And I think any of us could come up with a list of um, things that we could do if we did in fact have more money to, to spend it on. Yeah, and it, it's um, interesting that you say that we in Cobb have the same budget as APS um, because Cobb is number two um, in the state of Georgia, um, second only to a to Gwinnett. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even sure. I don't even think I've ever looked at Gwinnett's like budget. Yeah. Um, Gwinnett has uh, Gwinnett has some other things. They get a, a, a equalization grant uh, because the the formula there is based on what you could be taxing. Um, the taxable base that you have, and Gwinnett wasn't known to have a, a taxable base that was high enough to, uh, you know, to fund their schools, and so they actually get like a grant from the state. Um, I know that 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 had become kind of a sticking point where people just felt like, oh, Gwinnett's, you know, getting some unfair advantage over us or whatever. You know, first of all, Gwinnett doesn't have double the kids, but they have a significantly larger. Like we're at we're at 108 now. So everybody's lost a few thousand kids or so, but, um, and let's say they were at like 177 or something like that. So not quite double. Um, but you know, they much higher, uh, population of students. And then they, they also have a bond, you know, which is that debt they've taken on to build schools, because I don't know if you ever pay attention, like, you know, Gwinnett seems to always be building schools, but they also have to, right. Because their population is growing so large. Um, that they have to build new schools to accommodate their kids. So they've got SPLOS, but they also have a bond um, and they have that large budget. But 
again, you know, high personnel costs, right? So with a large district also comes a lot of um, personnel. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, nobody's like rolling in the money, <laughs> like, oh, we don't know what to do with it, you know? Um, that could be construed as a definite misconception that yeah. I feel that because I work in the accounting space, a lot of times people have this yeah. um, irrational um, idea of how much money. And when you say dollar amounts, they equate that to what it is, their wish list. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you have to be um, realistic um, in what kind of you think through because you do need the people you can't educate children without the people and it's not just teachers it's principals assistant principals counselors um you know all these other staff members that um people can forget about um who do the work um that don't really get a lot of the credit um and so definitely want to shout out all the educators, um, because you are doing great work um, to pour into um, not only this generation, but future generations to come. And so I definitely want to take the time right there to shout all educators out. Um, And so, of course, when you work on any team, it it comes with its obstacles. Um, And so what would you say are some of the current challenges that are facing um, education and us here in the Cobb County schools? Yeah, um, I mean, one thing is that, um, you know, being at the table means that certain conversations are happening or they're not, or who is at the table is driving the conversations. So, you know, we know now that, um, you know, our schools are very diverse, but America as a whole will be uh, majority minority, which I hate that term because it's like, like <laughs> you are the majority, right? But um, majority minority by, a certain, I think it's 2040, I think it's 2040. Like that's the stuff, that's the data that's coming out. That's what we know. We're heading towards a country that is predominantly made up of people of color. Um, and so our, our school district right now is 61, 61% was uh, kind of an older number from last year. And I, so I think we're even higher this year. Um, but you know, obviously the, the majority of students in Cobb County. So what happens is, you know, people are going to talk about the things that they are comfortable talking about, um, that they have experience with. It's just, you know, it's kind of just human nature, I think in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, in our particular case, you know, we have a, we have a real divide and it's not, it's not just party, the party thing. Um, you know, every, people always say like, uh, education shouldn't be political. I would argue there's actually nothing more political that we have. And I would say this because education, like follow the money, like, you know, like the the biggest expenditure of our state government is on education. Like most of the money has to flow back out for schools, um, public schools, Um, you know, at the federal level, the same thing. It's, you know, this is of interest to everyone, no matter what you did, you sent your kids to private school, you don't have kids, you care about business, like whatever it is, right? People care about schools. Um, and so people are still partisan, even if the, the races are not the actual like elections, you know, cause some are and some are not. Um, so, you know, I don't want people to, you know, let's not be naive about what people are bringing to the role. Um, even if the 
the role itself is not um, by party or you know, again the election. Um, so that's something that so there's that divide. But you know, honestly, like if you're just talking about what's best for kids, like it shouldn't be that this is a Republican viewpoint versus a Democratic viewpoint. But but I would say the even more pronounced uh, differences between us. I mean, one, all of the newer board members are people of color. We're all black board members. Um, there is a huge generational divide, um, huge age gap. I mean, you know, we're talking about 20 to 40 years, 40 years age gap between our colleagues. Um, and we, we're people, of course, with age, you know, we're also young families who have kids in our schools. And so we could, we could cut, you know, put the, so, you know, set the line in all kinds of different ways. So I think what you start saying there is, you know, okay, that's fine. And actually this should be celebrated, right? Because now we more represent um, what our community looks like. Um, but there's not some kind of natural, like, oh yeah, like, you know, let's all come together. And so that's, I think something we need help with. And I know that businesses, I mean, they all do a training. I don't know if they say it like this, maybe this is kind of more of a joke, but they do something where it's like, hey, come learn how to work with millennials, you know, or you know, however they say it, maybe they don't just call out millennials. But understanding that, you know, in a workplace, which this is a workplace, you know, our, our, we're on the board, um, you know, you, you do have to offer people support in working with people that are very, very different than themselves, um, even if they don't know it, but that's, you know, they're in charge, right? And so they know like, this is better for us if we actually call this stuff out and just know that people need some, some help here. Um, I was thinking about what else I was gonna say around, um, so I think we just, you know, we, we need some, we need some support there, you know, but I think that, um, you know, there's some real discussions taking place like all around the country around equity and education and understanding the challenges that come with uh, teaching a, a more diverse population, considering that your teaching force has been what it's been for decades at this point. And right. I mean, there's some, there's some school districts doing, like there's a superintendent, I have a story in one of my many tabs right now um, about a superintendent who came in with like this uh, goal to be an anti-racist superintendent. And mm. they're like, what? You know, like, oh my gosh, like that seems so out there, you know, when we're just like trying to have an adult <laughs> conversation around equity. Uh, equity, which affects everyone, whether you're a student of color, you're learning English for the first time, you have, you're a student with special needs, like, like that word, it's not just a buzzword. It, it's whether or not a child is ready to enter the world after they leave us or they're not. And that is my concern. I think we're too quick to be like, oh, yep, we graduated kids. Here's our graduation rate. It's great. Well, they graduated to do what? You know, and, you know, at some point, you're like, we got now we have the next group that we got to worry about. And I get that. But I think that, you know, how just I mean, we talked about that societal kind of the way things are in our country. It's all about graduation. But we got plenty of kids who graduate. But again, then what, you know, and what can we be doing to help prepare kids um, 
and, and those conversations are happening, but I do think, you know, we have a lot of inequity in our schools. It's not a think, we know it, but are we a district who can have those conversations and do that kind of self-reflection? It's not an attack on any one person or, or the district even as a whole. It's the literal challenge that every school district in this country has, <laughs> you know, other than the pandemic. So, um, you know, let's, let's do the work. Right, and I, I think you said kind of some key things there. Um, having tough conversations, yep. um, getting the support that you need yep. and, you know, being open yep. to those conversations, um, and not taking it personal, mm -hmm. um, because like you mentioned, it is something that is happening all across the United States yes. and it's kind of, um, you're creating a illusion if you are acting like you are in silo and that it's not happening um, where you are. Um, especially um, in the South, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's a given that there's inequalities. Um, so it's kind of like you would be, to me, hell bent to say, oh no, that does not exist here. So it, um, and I've watched school board meetings a lot. And, that's like a literal quote you just said. <laughs> oh, not here. We don't do that here. And it's like, yes. Um, don't do that. And, uh, for my own mental well-being, I had to kind of stop watching so much um, and tune in kind of in bits and pieces. And, wow. um, and because it's interesting. Um, and so um, we kind of talked about like the challenges, like, so we know that there's work that needs to be done. And so when you think about that work, yeah. um, how do you envision education in this community? Um, you know, I, I know for me, when I decided to move here, so I came here from like East Atlanta area where I had, I was really divorced. I had a new job I was starting, like all the things you're not supposed to do like at once, but I did it. And uh, I had to find a new place to live. And so um, I was looking for a diverse school um, for my oldest who at the time was starting kindergarten. And to me, that was just very, very important. I had worked in a lot of different environments. Um, and, um, you know, I worked at schools where it was like they were, you know, nine. 99 school, you know, the grade, you know, they were graded a 99. They were, you know, it was like, oh, this is the best, you know, but I was like, hmm, I don't, you know, that's, I don't want my son there, right? Like I want my son, like to me, that was number one. I, I knew at the time I knew better than to, you know, just go online and look at uh, great schools or, or these grades or whatever. I, I wanted just a family feel. I wanted the diversity in that my child would know people from kind of all over, right? And, um, and that's what we found like in this, um, in this school of ours. And, um, you know, I had now having been here 10 years, you know, we have had, I, I know that the teachers that my children have responded to the most, um, and this, this, I would say this is true of really any child, right? But they are the ones who made them feel like they were family, like they, they both challenged my children, but also um, loved on them, <laughs> you know, and um, that combination is just everything. 
and a child will you know hang the moon for you if, if they think that you love them that you care about them um but that you also challenge them, you know, and, and, and have, have high expectations for them. I mean, you know, you always know you have a great teacher when your kid's acting up and you're like, let me, let me call, let me text this teacher, you know, and, and your kid's like, no, don't, don't do it. I mean, they're too old now because actually I feel like I'm more connected with all of their teachers at this point because everybody's using like you know, remind and the text and all that. I mean, it's very quick now, you know, than maybe um, in years past, but, you know, it, it was just always very endearing to me because, you know, it, like they actually, you know, hey teacher, like help me out here. Like, you know, <laughs> um, they're not listening to me, but they listen to you. Um, and, you know, I, I, one thing I would say too, is that, you know, you could find this awesome school or whatever you think is awesome. Cause at the end of the day, like you're not there, right? Um, but you as a parent, I don't care if you're paying for school, I don't care if the school is literally a hundred on the scale, like your job is never done. It's never done, you know? And um, you gotta, you have to establish those relationships as best you can. We know that people are just, they're just trying to survive, especially now, you know, they're trying to work and keep a roof over their, their head and their family and, and feed their family and all of that. And this idea that, you know, parents are just going to be walking the halls, you know, at all hours of the day, that's just not a realistic um, expectation for our society in 2021. And it doesn't mean that families don't care. Um, it, it couldn't be farther from the truth, you know, but it's just, we have to kind of, um, pivot in in what we consider to be like parental involvement um and what we don't so um look i i know that my children have have they're they're fine they're good i also know that you know they have um a, a level of parental support and, and privilege i mean let's just talk about privilege right because you know we've heard the word a lot as it relates to race but we also know that you know for for those of us who, you know, just even having a, a steady family income, yeah. hello, like sets up our children in a way that they are privileged, right? Like if they need help, we'll take them to get tutored. Um, what do we do on breaks? We travel, like all of these things, you know, help our kids when they were babies, you know, we took them to the little mommy and me programs or daddy and me, you know, whatever. Like those are the kinds of things that you, I think a lot of us just take for granted. And what we don't realize is how like, that is all that is all your children's education. But I also want people to think about all the families that can't do not one of those things I said, including taking your little baby to a, a music class, you know? And so um, just understanding that it's very much a partnership. Um, and I do think, you know, going back to the, the equity thing, like, you know, it's where you're, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Hello, like, um, you know, just even thinking about the capital attack and, you know, was your child in a classroom where the teacher felt comfortable and even talking about that? <laughs> was your child in a classroom where your teacher actually even saw that, why that was so bad? <laughs> I mean, I love, like, if we're going to be real here, like, you know, and then that, that is also, that's a part of the education, right? So some kids are getting that they're getting just some very real conversations about things that they are seeing are happening. And then some are getting the idea that, oh, there's just some things we don't talk about. We don't talk about that. And you carry that for probably the rest of your life. Mm. And then we, we sit here when the next thing happens and people are like, oh, that's not who we are. 
oh, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, let me tell you something that happened in, in my day. Forget like going back to the 60s, you know, which, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's really bad. And again, it is, it is our society. We have set things up a certain way. And so we see that here in Smyrna, Georgia, no right. matter how much, you know, we, I think in this area and, you know, that's right. Like we, people of all stripes will say, you know, they value the diversity. Um, but, you know, it, it means different things to different people. And I think too, um, you know, what, what then? I think it's a start for us to have some tough conversations, but yeah. people do have to understand, like you are really putting yourself out there if you're really going to do the work of being anti-racist. This county was, I looked it up back to the census in 1980, um, which I just picked because that was the year I was born, 4% African-American. And if you talk to, I know a couple of African-Americans who grew up here, Miss T at, at our school, she grew up in Smyrna. Um, there was a place where the black people lived in Smyrna, right? A uh, school that they went to, uh, of course, right? You know, we can't look at this stuff as like some, that happened somewhere. No, it was right here down the street. Um, another woman whose family grew up in Cobb, uh, you know, prominent black family in, in the area. And today that number is more like 29%, if not higher, you know, and, um, just the change that's come with that and to see like even our most recent elections where, you know, the county, yes, it, it, it flipped. <laughs> and what's funny is like, they're not all like right now, all the county positions are held by Democrats except for one, but um, that, 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 you know, that's a Republican, but they're all black people. <laughs> like, so the, the tax commissioner, the, the DA, uh, the, you know, chairwoman, the board of commissioners, um, the sheriff, you know, so it's just kind of, um, yeah. I mean, that's the county now, you know. And I, I after the election, well, after, let's say after the dust settled from the election, right. Right. several days later, weeks later, um, it was really um, interesting to see. And I think I even cried because it's just something that you don't think of. I mean, and a lot of people talk about kids watching and saying like representation is important, but for adults too, right? I think that a lot of times people forget that. And I want to go back to the point that you said about not only having a seat at the table, but then kind of what then? And I feel like a lot of times it's kind of like, oh, we are so diverse, mm -hmm. but what do you do with that diversity? Are you working to be more diverse, more inclusive, um, not only in who's at the table, but the policies, the education, equity, all of those things play into when people are at the table. Um, and so I know that here in Cobb, we really pride ourselves on one team, one goal, student success. Yeah. And um, I, I, I laugh, uh, because, you know, I, I know that anyone who has watched some of our school board meetings kind of has some reservations about that model when they hear it. Um, so what would you say are ways that the board knows that their goals are being accomplished in respect to our motto, our mission? Yeah. Oh. That's a good question. It's it's a tough one because um, 
there's no shared metric, right? There's no, so, you know, while my colleagues might say, you know, oh, like the Marietta Daily Journal, like they're telling us that, you know, superintendent and school districts are doing a great job. I'm like, we just had 10 people show up and tell us, you know, what they're seeing, like on the ground, right? On the ground, like they're teachers who are putting themselves out there. I hate to even say it like that, but usually like teachers, and this is any district, are not coming to board comment to tell you what you're doing wrong. Like schools are oftentimes like or school systems, they're very much, a, it's a culture of fear. And um, you know, the teachers, while they should be the activists because they are like, there's just no better group of folks to be like activists. And I'm not saying like, you know, it's not political, it's about what's right and wrong. That's how I look at it, right? So it's about what's right and wrong. Like, are you really wanting to debate that? No, like, come on, you know? Um, so when I hear from people who come and again, put themselves out there, parents also, you know, to tell us in a board meeting, it's being recorded and everybody's gonna hear and see that, um, you know, we're not meeting that. Like if one person does that, I'm like, okay, like obviously we're not meeting that goal. Like that is the goal. It's a goal, you know, that a hundred percent of people that interact with switch, you know, and you may never reach that. But the point when you set goals is that you are working towards it, right? And I feel like we give ourselves that kind of space um, when we're talking about academic goals. Mm. Like that's like, oh, you know, we're not there yet. But, you know, nobody's no, no sense of urgency, I think. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, we'll get there. We're, we're doing okay. We're, work, we're moving towards it. Well, why are we so, like, gung-ho about this arbitrary, like, um, you know, uh, uh, idea of, you know, one team, one goal, when we have people on the team, on the team that are saying like, I don't feel like a part of the team, or mm -hmm. let me tell you as someone you're saying is a part of the team, let it's like family, right? Like, uh, I'm, you know, I, I can talk all the junk in the world about my family, you better not, you know, like, it, that's what we do as a family. And that's just kind of the unwritten rules about being a family. And I wish that we looked at our school districts as, as that, you know, as a family who we're not gonna always love everything that family does, um, but we could talk about it, we call it out, we can get into it about it. And, you know, we just, we move on. But obviously, you know, in a constructive way and listen to our team. Yeah. So that's been very just astonishing to me is just the idea that like, I know what I'm hearing yet you can act like you don't hear that because you're using this this something over here that is i don't know like more friendly to you know the district and so you're only some people are only willing to hear the positive mm. anything that can even be considered a criticism is like it's just flat out wrong and i i don't even think people are really listening to it and so um that's a it's a really bad place to be it's a bad place to be and I don't know how you how you how you improve how you do anything when you can't even agree on what you know what it is it's about what matters mm. who matters what matters who gets to matter if I say something I express a concern you know it's like uh you know if somebody else expresses a concern then you know they're they're okay maybe I'll listen to it a little bit and um oof, that's it's rough because and and that's that whole thing i was saying but like with my mom like 
in the moment where you realize, oh, I don't matter. Okay. You know, it's, you know that hurts, right? <laughs> it hurts and it's maddening, it's enraging. Um, but then, you know, okay, what next? you know, and, and not letting people, my thing is, I, I feel like I, my husband says, I'm, I have to, I have to beam my headlights of justice on people. <laughs> and I do look, I was a kindergarten teacher, right? I think when I think about it, you know, the ideas of like, what's fair and all that, I mean, that's just, that's just in me, you know? And, um, cause I, I would try to teach it to like young people who, you know, can be a little selfish, you know, <laughs> and like, and the thing about it is that, Hey, like Toya, like kids get it, right? That five-year-old, that six-year-old, they get it. Adults, not so much. So something happens without, you know, between that time, the innocent kindergartner who is learning to share and what's fair, they'll tell you all day long what's not fair. If they think you gave somebody just one little bit more, you know, um, you know, but then that's the whole conversation around equity too. So, <laughs> but you know, and then something happens when, uh, we're adults and it's just like my, my, mine, my, mine are fine. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like we're good. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy that hold on, I think we're getting some feedback. Let me move this. Um, just as um, like mine and like my district. And I feel like as a parent watching the school board, it kind of, you have some board members who operate like not only I'm speaking for my community, but our community as a whole, whereas you have some that are very specific to our, where we reside. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I definitely feel the tension and you can see it. Uh, and which is that, that's part of the frustration um, because we do have the model of one team, one goal, student success. And are we really moving towards that? And I feel like a lot of the systems and things that we have in place are really not moving us to that direction. They're getting us more towards, we have this amount of kids graduating, but not really how they matriculate into society and how they become productive citizens of our society um, to carry the torch of progress. Um, and so I know that you have been very vocal about like hot topics such as, you know, racial issues. Um, how do you feel um, that other government agencies were able to reach a consensus to kind of draft and approve resolutions condemning racism? Yeah. Uh, and that kind of stalled out um, at the district level. You see, I had to take a breath. Um, you know, that was a, it was a, that was a tough time. That was a very, very tough time. I have to remind myself that was just this past summer, right? I mean, and right when, when everything happened with George Floyd, I mean, I was getting text messages and I know, I'm sure you were too, all kinds of messages, email, Facebook, text, uh, with apologies from our white brothers and sisters uh you know not it wasn't many I know some people got way more than I did but it was this weird like place to be you know and it was just like we we would joke about how like oh America just found out racism is still a thing you know and it's just like come on you know and and the idea that you know it, it felt like a relative died I remember crying like two weeks in a row 
every night, I would just go in the bathroom and just be. And the thing to do at the time, if you were a, a government uh, agency entity, was to, you know, write this resolution condemning racism. And look, I mean, you know, in a world, in a country, let's just say the country that does not, that wants to act as if race not only is not an issue, but never really has been. There was like a couple, there, you know, there was a guy that marched <laughs> and, you know, because I don't know, you had to like go eat at this place versus this place, <laughs> you know, but like we're better now, you know. Um, our very stunted knowledge of history um, yeah. is all, it all leads up to situations like this where you're getting text messages saying sorry. Uh, but, um, yeah, so they were writing these resolutions and it, you know, again, it was like kind of the thing to do and you looked kind of silly if you didn't get it cranked out, right? Because it's like, surely we can all condemn racism. Um, but, but we didn't do that, right? When, when all this happened, we didn't do that in June, early June. And so um, here we were, I think it was August, you know, just kind of now getting around to a resolution condemning racism, which only came after um, Dr. Howard and I wrote, I mean, we're like, forget condemning racism. Good gosh, like we, there's no way, I mean, we, that, <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. It's just like, what would, what would all of those people who were in the struggle, what would they say? You know, just like, y'all are just now condemning racism. Like, you know? So we were like, we need action. We need action. And so we wrote this call to action that had just a few things that we thought, you know, if you if you are in a place where you're condemning racism, like, look, we don't need to spend the time putting it down on paper. Let's, can we just all agree that racism is bad? Well, this is how racism shows itself in our schools, in our school districts, in schools all around the country. Because right. people don't know that. They think that racism is saying the N-word. And so those are like, it's the low-hanging fruit, right? It's, you know, oh, that girl said the N-word when she was 17. Like, that is not what keeps me up. That's not what I'm worried about for my sons are people who say that and say the N word, let me know who you are. You know, <laughs> it's not that it's like, it, it's everything from, um, we talked about discipline, disciplinary action, um, which if you are honest about the numbers, if you're not, then, you know, you're like, oh, we don't do that here. But if you're honest about the numbers, you will see schools that have tiny, this is one example, but tiny populations of black children yet represent, you know, double digits of the suspensions. Like mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Um, who is in AP classes? And have we asked ourselves why magnet programs and I, AP classes, like why they tend to be certain groups of students and not others? Like, even if you don't know the answer to that, that's fine. But go down the, the path of trying to figure it out. What is, do they just not want to? Uh, do they know about it? Like, you know, do the work, which is what we're here for. Um, and so, yeah, we, we wrote this call to action and we presented it and like, nobody said anything. And then, so this is something that would have gone to the board, um, of course, included the superintendent. And it was just like, whoa, 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 like, what is this? And so out of that was born this, idea that one of our one of our colleagues who happens to be white said i'm going to write this resolution condemning racism so what we did was the response to the call to action was to go all the way back to what was 
you know, the cool thing to do at the beginning of the summer and write the resolution condemning racism. So the resolution is written. Um, I know that he claims that he used a lot of the language from these other places, but you know, I mean, I don't, that doesn't, whatever. I, I don't know, but you know, that's, it, it was bad. I mean, if you're in the resolution, you're mentioning the constitution, like, I mean, I almost like had to, I just stopped right there. I mean, that was one of the first lines and I'm like, there's no more oppressive document than the constitution. Like, and then the idea that training, you know, we train our teachers, train our teachers to do what? You know, what is, what is training? What, what training have we done? And, and what, what training has led to us not having racism in our schools? I mean, yeah. there's no training, I don't, I don't, you know. We may need training, but there's no training that's gonna just get rid of that. Uh, because I think in our head, like we just made racism to be, even what happened at the Capitol, like we need to be very careful. Those people, they were, yes, there were teachers there, okay? There were Olympic gold medalists there. There were police officers there, you know, like calling this stuff out. These are not like fringe people who live out in the woods somewhere and are off the grid. Oh, they are not off the grid. They are in front of your children. And so, you know, like you would hope that that kind of made it seem more like, oh, this is something that is everywhere and every day. <laughs> not like, oh, just a couple of people have said the N word and, you know, since 2020. Um, and so the, the resolution went nowhere because there were a couple of board members tasked with like working on it and kind of, you know, getting to like, you know, which in theory should be how it was, right? Like different board members coming together. But I mean, good gosh. And, and but all of that said, when this situation happened and all the others that have happened and all the others that will happen, unfortunately, like the idea of listening to black voices, mm. like the kind of just cornerstone of ha actually having kind of an any honest effort or any honest even um, idea that you want to do something about racism. Like if you can't even do that one thing, uh, I, I don't know. And I didn't need, that paper wasn't gonna do anything for me. My, my thing is it's two things, it's acknowledgement and it's a commitment. Like anything that we do, we need to be acknowledging what the problems are, what we've done, and then a, make a commitment to doing better and, you know, and including how we're going to do better or at least try to do better. Um, that's a start, but that document had, had none of that, you know, and it was, um, so we never, we're one of the few, <laughs> if not only, um, you know, entities around that just never could even get the racism, the resolution condemning racism, um, you know, completed. So right now we have no such resolution. And, and honestly, like resolutions aren't even anything we do regularly as in Cobb County, other, other um, boards do. Um, so it was always kind of a strange thing anyway, because, you know, it's like, oh, we don't do that. We don't do resolutions. That's what, you know, we had been told about other things, uh, you know, other times before. And then all of a sudden it was like, I have the resolution condemning racism that involved no black people but that sit with you every day on the board. But um, yeah, and that was, that was funny. Um, the fact that you consulted no one of color to come up with your version, yeah. and especially um, because 
I guess as a parent, hearing some of the comments um, that that board member has said um, and how he carries himself, um, that spoke volumes. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely one of those people that I definitely need you, like I can hear your words, but I'm definitely looking at the actions to see if they align. Um, and so it, that was kind of um, definitely comical for me. Um, but then kind of hearing other board members chime in, um, just kind of with the mindset, like you mentioned, it doesn't really exist here, which it, again, kind of brings us back to, um, you know, not in my backyard, but in reality, you're in the South, um, you know, home of the civil rights movement, also home of, you know, they literally wanted not to be a part of the United States so that they could have slavery. Um, so how could you not yeah. have those types of things? Um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily, I think a lot of people definitely misconstrue what racism really means, um, which is kind of what leads to kind of it being so powerful because if you really don't know what it means and you just think that it's saying the N word, yeah. um, then it becomes more powerful because then it's invisible. And then it's kind of like, I can go storm the Capitol um, because I don't believe that someone won an election. Um, but, you know, because my skin color is of, you know, white, yeah, yeah. then, you know, I'm not held accountable. Um, and I think that you see that. And I guess as an adult, that's more of like some of the things that are coming back to me, like, okay, it is it is invisible. And although I may have not seen it before, these are some of the ways that it kind of has um, shown itself. Whereas, so that, that definitely, I think that just hearing that and seeing that, and then really just kind of the partnership with yeah. different, like different educators and really understanding like, too, what is like, my teacher's heart. And I think that um, like my kids' teachers and I, I love them. We still kind of, I believe most of my kids' teachers, I still talk to and my oldest is in seventh grade. So um, I feel like, and it's because they really made him feel like family um, and they love him, you know, like I do. And so I think when you really create those relationships with people, um, it's harder to kind of say that they don't matter. Um, but I think when you're not in proximity to people who are different than you, whether it be age, race, um, you know, social economic status, then you get this narrow view of what it is like to be racist. Yeah. Or, um, you know, to say I'm the least racist person in the room. <laughs> Um, like if that's even a, a thing, but, um, you, you, you mentioned kind of having a seat at the table. Um, and so that we, we definitely know that diversity and inclusion are beneficial. Um, what do you think is like the greatest challenge, um, in regard to inclusiveness in education? Oh gosh. I'm so glad you asked about that because I was just thinking about like that nice white parents podcast. I don't know if you heard that. I mean, it, so going back to like the great schools and there's other sites as well, but you know, 
I, and I had, I'm just very real with parents that reach out to me because there are some parents, um, and there are black parents who think like, oh, I'm supposed to go to this school, but I want to go to this school because they've got the better like grades online or whatever. Um, and you know, if like you're, you're the best environment for your child has nothing to do with that grade, you know? And so I have made it my mission to try to explain to people what those even mean, where they're, where they come from. And so what we know, and there are studies, I mean, you know, I, I implore people who really just have really want to understand this more to, to look, look at the studies that have been done about children that end up, you know, what they end up doing in life post-school and, and the, the, just flat out importance that their parents have to do on, you know, the, the, the impact that their parents have on that. And what that is, is it's income, it's, you know, the education level of parents. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, yeah. So when a school um, has this great grade or whatever, but like, we know that grades, school grades come from, and I'm talking about, you know, those sites, right, that are made for parents who want to like, feel like they're shopping around for the, the best school. Um, the grades come from test scores, test scores are tied, linked to parental income. Um, and so what you're saying is that if you, if you're going to have a school that has more diversity in terms of in terms of socioeconomic status, uh, more diversity in terms of ethnicity. Uh, those schools are never going to be graded as high, and yeah. our our kids, you know, are they um, are they learning? Are there great teachers in those buildings? Heck yes, there are. You know, I during my uh, career, my fifteen year career teaching, I mean the best teachers I've ever seen, like that I worked with were at um, Title I school I worked at in South Fulton, hands down. I mean, because this is a thing, they had to, they had to teach their butts off with a great variety of kids coming with all kinds of different backgrounds and, and ability levels. And I know one thing that they did at the time was um, when children were, um, advanced in a subject. So if they were in third grade, they would go up to the fourth grade teacher's classroom and spend the math block or the ELA block or whatever um, their strength was. And I just remember thinking like right now this teacher's got, you know, and that wasn't the gifted, I'm talking about the, in her class, she just had kids pop in and out, she or he, and it was, you know, the third graders that they were teaching um, who were, you know, advanced. They had kids who needed all kinds of extra support to, to be on level. And, and they did that, you know, and I just, um, I mean, I, this will sound kind of funny, but, um, you know, there's huge international population in, in Cobb County. And, um, you know, there are some people um, who, you know, they, they gravitate towards certain schools, you know, particularly in high school, right. And they think, because maybe this is how it works in their country, I'm not sure, but um, that they're, the teachers like, at that school make more money <laughs> than like teachers at other schools. And no, that's not, that's not true. Like, like the great teachers are not just at this school. Um, it really is, um, it just has more to do with, with family. And then I do want people to connect all these dots, right? Because you may say like, well, why is it that families can't take their kids to the, the parent and me classes and all that kind of stuff? Like, so, you have to understand like 
when we're talking about policies that even make $15 the, the minimum wage um, or policies that have to do with childcare or universal healthcare, how all of these policies would help our kids tomorrow. The kids that need it the most, all of that would help. You would have higher test scores, you know? And then we could get into a conversation too about test scores and, um, you know, the, their, you know, standardized tests have some, uh, some, I'm saying some bias, but you know, that's a whole other story. So, <laughs> you know, there's that too. So I do want people to kind of check themselves when, you know, you realize the, the, the elementary schools have a lot more diversity. And, and also diversity is not just black and white. I know I don't need to tell you that, but I do think that even for some black people, like we got to, when we talk about diversity, that, that is not what that means. You know, like I remember um, when, my oldest was in kindergarten, he came home and he was like, you know, oh, so-and-so's from Ghana, so-and-so's from Mexico. And he just like, I was like, that's really cool. <laughs> you know, it's just this kind of international, like, um, you know, microcosm, uh, you know, right in a school and how that is a lesson for all kids. So, you know, when you asked the question, I was thinking too about how, like being in a diverse school, it, it, it helps everyone, everyone does better white children do better, children of color do better, um, because that is that is the world. And so, you know, and, and the socioeconomic diversity as well, like it's, they're all learning things that are going to be very important when they are out in the world as adults. And just focusing in on, you know, uh, I don't know, something, you know, just some kind of academic um, piece is really missing missing out on a lot. Um, there's also studies that show like when there is a black teacher um, that a lot of like a lot of students choose that teacher as their favorite or and I don't, I don't want to believe me there's some really good work out there around this and I don't want to make it seem like you know um, less than serious you know about the favorite teacher or anything but I'm talking about the white kids chose that teacher <laughs> the black kids chose that teacher it's some it's very interesting stuff you know because um, yeah, and it's just it's 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 a lot. It's a heavy topic. Um, but and two, what, you know, what I was saying was like you think about the elementary schools, and so yeah, they they tend to be more diverse. And then as we get, you know, older and older and older, it's less so. And so I would question anybody who has heard the playground talk or neighborhood talk about like, oh, that school, you know, oh, the middle school. Oh no, no, we don't do that. And it's like, why? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, if anything, like the middle school, what, what's amazing about middle school, I learned was that like, oh my gosh, like here are all the, the teachers are super diverse too. Like, it's just like, you get all these male teachers, um, just teachers from all over, all backgrounds. I mean, I, and I, I thought anybody that's working with this age group, like they are amazing people. Um, Cause like I had a middle schooler and I, you know, that was hot. Sorry. So, you know, it's just the idea of like, you have to, you have to ask those questions. Why is it that the elementary school was considered acceptable? But then as we're getting into the middle school, like, oh, what changes, you know, and then, or this high school, when I'm like, what if I told you like that high school has all the things, you know, that your child would love and need and um, some really amazing teachers, you're going to miss out on that because you think like, there's something wrong with the school. And again, that comes back. It's good. Hey, it's, it's America. So everything comes back to race. And so my point being like, 
we have we have issues around what schools are good and what schools aren't good and if you look at it if you spend five seconds even thinking about it the schools get that are deemed not as good are of course filled with black and brown children let's just be real it's and i find maybe i'm definitely more um inclusive definitely being a um parent of a child with special needs so not only am i a african-american mother um and a mom of boys but also special education so i know and i i guess i understand the gamut and spectrum of what really it means to be diverse Um, not only diverse by physical characteristics but also abilities Um, and so it's um, definitely interesting to hear some of the things that you say. And I find that people do. I didn't even know that really school hopping was a thing until, um, you know, really moving to the South and having children um, that people just, they're like, oh no, I'm not going to purchase a house because we're only going to go to elementary school here. We'll leave private school in middle, come back maybe for high school which is strange. And you just made me think about something else because you know we know that a lot of our schools in, in particularly this part of town or in the Southern part, we are um, over capacity, right? They're overcrowded. Uh, and um, you know, some people will ask about redistricting. We have to understand too, like, you know, let's go down the, the journey here of like redistricting and like the racial conversation <laughs> that we are not ready to have, but why our county is not so like excited about redistricting, even when it makes the most sense for alleviating overcrowding at a school because they don't want, and this is me talking. So everything I've said here today, this is not the board, you know, let me just put that disclaimer up there. Like I speak as one person on the board. Um, But we know that again, talking about kind of the cultural norms of, of a school district and in ours, we don't redistrict. But if you think about it, it's like, that conversation around redistricting can get very, very ugly. People don't know that on, you know, at the beginning because they just think I want my school to not have trailers. But, you know, when the school district tells you like, okay, your neighborhood's gonna be the one that, you know, gets cut out. I think people have in their head like, oh, we're just gonna take these apartment complexes out. You know, and honestly, it's just, it's ugly and I, you know, I, I, I kind of already know that this is, you know, where, but people don't know that they're just like, what do you mean? Like, why can't you just make our schools less crowded? You know, but there, there's a lot of racial <laughs> uh, undertones uh, yeah. to any conversation around anything with schools and, and something like redistricting is a really um, good example of that. And the whole idea, what, what made me think about it when you said, um, you know, I, I bought, I bought my house, which I'm pretty sure on the website, it tells you like, you could be moved anywhere. Like don't buy a house, you know, like, or just know that, right? That's a disclaimer the district's gonna tell you because they really could move you at any point for any reason, you know, and you having bought a house there for that school is not really like something you have to stand on. Um, but, you know, that, that is the, that's the argument. You know, I bought here for this school, mm. not that one, because that one's, that's not a good school you know, you knowing nothing about it, but you know, and so you can imagine how, how that would be, you know, um, cause of course parents are going to say that, you know, so. 
Yes. And so we, we talked a lot about kind of parents being more involved in kind of like partnership. So what are some ways that people can get more involved in understanding how the school board um, like operates yeah. or understanding education from the district standpoint in general? So one thing, I mean, the, the pandemic, of course, has been um, just awful period in our history. You know, it will be known as that for many years to come. And um, we've lost a lot of people. Uh, I do think that there is something uh, positive that came out of this awful thing. And that's that people are paying attention like they never have before to our school district and our school board. Um, you know, when, when elections happen, you know, we're very excited about who the president's going to be, maybe who the governor is going to be. Um, and then all of that goes by the wayside for ev literally every other race. Because, and, and, and I'm not, I don't judge anyone. I don't, I don't judge anyone because my thing is, um, again, this is how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to really know a whole lot. And if you don't know a whole lot, you can't actually, you don't, you never exert the power that you really do have. Right. And so, um, you know, but I think, especially for parents, but you know, we can't just have, it's not just parents that vote. That's an important point because you know, there are people whose kids haven't been in schools in 20 years who are also voting. But um, you know, when, when you know you see things and you know you have questions, like just know like in this country, there is a representative body for everything at every turn, you know? And when it comes to the schools, there is a school board. There are people who are just learning that. And I am grateful that they are now, even, even though they didn't, they never knew it before. Like, how does, how is the school district organized? And so I think that we now have a duty to pass that information on and to also act now that we have that information. So now that you know there's a school board, now that you hopefully know who your school board um, representative is, it's not just about electing people, but holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? You know, as candidates, we say a whole lot of things. <laughs> and it's like, hold us accountable to the things that we have said, you know, start with that, you know, don't put anything on us that we but, you know, people say all kinds of things, you know, and it's just like, you know, ask them about it, see what they're doing, um, get involved with other groups. That's one thing when you don't have a lot of time or you don't think you really understand how to navigate all this, like there is a group out there that you can be a part of and so that you can use your, your power in numbers and organizing um, to impact change. And so um, people just, you do what you can, you do what you can and when you can do it. I, you know, I'm sitting here somebody who's a school board member who, when my kids first started school, I was, I was hardly ever there. Why? Because I was a teacher and my hours were the school's hours. I wasn't able to just pop into meetings. I couldn't, there's no, you know, unless it was an evening meeting, like I couldn't have attended. I would show up. Um, we would do some, you know, uh, Saturday cleanups and yard work. And I would drag my husband up there with me because I could show up on a Saturday, right. And participate. Um, and, you know, even though I, I worked and I wasn't there a lot, like I took the time to, you know, get to know, make sure that the principal knew me and, um, and, 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 you know, and get to know her and, and all of that when I could. So doing what you can. Um, of course, now things are so, there's, you know, Zoom everything and, you know, there's, there's ways to help, even if you can't be in the school building from this hour to this hour. Um, 
And so finding the ways that work, but understanding like you are never off the hook um, as a parent when you send your child to a school. Like you have to, and they, the school needs you too. Like you are an expert mom, dad, you know, like, or grandma, grandpa, like, you know, you, you are the expert and the schools need you just as much as you feel like you need them to, to take your baby every day. Um, and so I think, you know, I think we're, we're getting there. Um, look, there are a lot of eyes on, on the school board now, and that's true of, of boards all around the country. Um, and, you know, they should have probably always been on us like that. But I think that this is a real opportunity. Um, and I don't know, I, I hope it never goes back, right? So nothing that we do um, is, is going to be uh, hidden, you know? And then, I'm, you know, of course we operate in public, right? Like all of our board meetings are public, they're streamed. Um, but what I mean is nobody's watching them. <laughs> you know, it's kind of just like, who's gonna say anything? Cause they don't, nobody knows what's going on, but now they do. Yeah. And I'd like to think that that's just, that's our new normal, really. Um, and if people are uncomfortable with that or they don't like it, then that, that kind of says a lot, right? It says a lot that, because we, we operate, we are here for the community. We are sent, for board members in particular, we are sent here by the community. Yeah. There's a couple of things to read into that. When you are the opposite of what was here before, then I'm not going to say you use the language of you have a mandate. But there's a reason why you beat out this other opponent who could not have been more different than you because people wanted to see change. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're sent here by voters. And so, yeah, the voters have every right to, to ask questions and to, um, to hold us accountable, you know? And, and how are we representing um, ultimately the kids who don't get to vote for us, right? Like it's not... <laughs> That we're here to do the work for kids, but kids are not our voters. And sometimes there's some, um, you know, there's some, there's some disconnect there. You know, I just got an email from someone who was like, you know, he's with the chamber and he was unhappy about something I did. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I don't get it. I'm like, look, if you're a business, if you're in, with the chamber, like I need you to be concerned with, you know, some of these uh, reading reading rates that we have, you know, like not worried about me and how I voted like on a superintendent contract. I'm as a board member, I'm under no obligation to support the superintendent. Like I have, you know, I've voted um, two years in a row to extend this contract. And um, I mean, hello, the, this past year, there was a lot going on. <laughs> and so I think one thing that happens, I'll just, I'll end with this um, for this point, but um, I'm always amazed at the emails that I get, right? It's, I get a lot of emails about my performance and um, I just, you know, I used to, in the beginning, I used to really just be careful about what I said and I am always professional. I, I, they could say otherwise, but no, I'm always going to be professional, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to make you rethink the next time you want to send a woman, particularly one that looks like me, um, an email about my performance, because you're not actually even taking issue with like any real um, actions or thoughts or, or, you know, like, actually, I think that kids should whatever. That's not what you want to debate. You want to debate whether or not I, you know, I took too long to ask something or I like, and I'm just thinking, you know, would you send that email to anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is probably not. <laughs> so, 
And I, I think that a couple of things that you said really stood out. Definitely that I feel like more than ever, yeah. um, we the people um, definitely is reestablishing its weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people to see that not only do we vote mm-hmm. the people into office, but they are supposed to be aligned with our collective viewpoints um, and moving us in a direction to be held to the standard of our constitution. Um, you know, and whether that's at the federal level, state level, and then also local level, because I feel like we all kind of are working towards, you know, what it says, um, for the most part in our constitution, um, and then really holding people accountable. I feel like a lot of times when people exercise their right to vote, they forget that it's casting the ballot, then definitely communicating with them, not necessarily uh, about their performance, uh, but definitely about things that they're like, if they didn't vote a certain way and you felt, okay, this was really impactful for our community. Mm-hmm. And um, I really wish businesses, um, kind of a side note, I really wish businesses were more focused about our literacy rates mm-hmm. um, because it is definitely, it plays into, um, you know, so many things, um, you know, and I feel like there's so much work that can be done when you have representation um, and that you are holding people accountable. And then two, when they're not doing um, what you want them to do, like your elected official, then that's when they're up for re-election, you let them know by not casting your vote for them. So if you disagree, and I, I wish more people really understood that, it's not so much like, I'm not gonna vote in line with party. Um, it's really like, do I align with this person really? Like everything that they're saying, doing, how they voted on certain things, the policies they supported, like, is it aligned with me and my belief system? And that's how you should cast your vote. And so um, definitely no judgment, as you mentioned, of, you know, what people are going through as they decide, like, how they participate, but definitely understanding that it is, um, there is work for parents. It's not just let me send my kids to school because you are, education starts in the home like at whatever form um, or your capacity, it it starts in the home. Um, And, you know, the partnership, you may not feel like you are um, equipped to educate your teachers, I mean, your children, but definitely being in partnership. Like there's sometimes when I email my kids teachers and like, oh, you know, like, I don't know how, especially like with Common Core Math, (laughs) like, how are you guys doing this in school and what videos can I watch so that I am aligned and teaching them a way that you are, they're supposed to be learning as comparison to how I learn. Um, (laughs) There's certain things like that. Um, But I want to say kind of as we wind down and kind of end, you know, what are some ways that you, um, or that you believe 
a change maker is? Like, what does that really mean to you? Wow. So uh, one thing I think about is that, you know, first of all, that it can never be about you, you know, when you really are trying to bring about change. And, you know, this is something I say a lot too, that if you're trying to, you know, get something done at your kid's school next week, uh, this work is probably not for you because like, you know, one thing you'll learn is nothing is ever that, that fast, but also like the effort you put in right now may not be seen until next school year. And your kid may not even be there. You may, your kid may not even be impacted, but other children will be. Right. You know? And so um, just understanding that. But I think also as a change maker, you know, it, it not being about you means that you are all about building, building the crew, right? Building the coalition of people who are going to help you do that work um, and carry it on when you cannot. And so, um, you know, that's, that's just really important, you know, and, you know, even for me, like, um, you know, when you are the only woman, it's like, you, you know, you don't, you're not trying to be the, the only, and you're not trying to be the last, like you, you want to help build up other people, um, in my case, to run for office, um, being a support system for those that are running, encouraging other women to run. Um, and in terms of, uh, being a board member and helping parents feel empowered, you know, I, I very much feel like I'm a big part of my job is connecting people with information. And mm. so, um, cause who knows where to go for anything? If I have a question about X, it's like you fool around on the website for hours before you figure out and you probably won't, but you know, it's like, we're the face where the, the email and the phone number on the website. And so let me contact my board member and, and get their help. And at the very least, you should be getting that from us. But we can connect you with the people with the district who can um, answer questions and or uh, take action uh, on your behalf. And so, um, you know, it's, it's all about, you want other, you have to have others. They got, you know, it can't just be you, right? And so um, whatever that means, whether it's connecting people with information, um, empowering others to, to take action on their own and find their voice really right you know and, and the organizing piece of that um, and also just understanding that change can take time you know and knowing why you're doing it and it can't just be for your own reasons you know that again the work that you do today may not have an impact on on people that or will have an impact on people that you may even may not even know Right. at some point in the future. So I think once you kind of get that out of the way and you just kind of just throw yourself into it, um, you know, it, it's almost just kind of like a, you're more able to do the work as well, because again, next week, probably not going to happen, <laughs> you know, of course, depending on what it is, but, um, you know, like with anything in government, you know, things can take a long time. And I, I do like to think, you know, for me, these are four-year terms. Um, you know, who knows what, what the future holds, but I, um, would like to think that the fact that I've been here, people have looked at who belongs on the board, who gets to be on the board very differently now, yeah. because it is very much, whether you, you have the, the conscious thought of it or not, when you look at a, at a group of people and you don't see people that look like you, or you only see one, you know, you, you start to think that's not for me. It's mm. not for me. It's, there's some huge hardship with me even trying to be in that space that it's probably not worth it. I, I got other things to worry about and do and all that. So let me like 
let me not even think about it. But then when you do see people that look like you, you're like, oh, okay, like I could, you know, I could do that. And, and think about, we, and you said something so important, you know, earlier it was like, you know, it's one thing to talk about the kids saying and, and realizing that, but you're feeling the same way as an adult. As adults, we, we look at spaces and, and think, oh yeah, like it's not really for me. <laughs> and, and how quickly that mental shift happens when you just see someone that looks like you. And of course, that's something that some groups can take for granted, that they do take for granted because they always see people that look like them. I am the second black woman on the board. The first one was Peggy Lawson. Um, you know, hello, Black History Month. So we're going we're gonna to talk about Peggy Lawson, who you won't find anything about her anywhere. I had to, the, the former director of the, the Cobb NAACP, longstanding director, um, told me about her, Ms. Bonner, at an event because I had kind of been, you know, I think I'm the only Black woman, you know, that's ever been on the board. And she pulled me aside. She was like, I don't remember all the details, but you need to look up Peggy Lawson. And I was like, dang, that's messed up because it's not like she's on the website, you know? And so um, I was like, we, who would have known about her? So I have, I've made it part of my mission to share the story about Peggy Lawson because um, she was the first one in 1992. So not that long ago, but also almost 30 years ago, you know? And right. she dealt with some of the same things that I'm dealing with now. And she was up there saying she was she was a Republican. She was a Republican who represented um, kind of I think what Post Five is now. Um, you know, maps changed a little bit over the years, but um, but she was the first Black person, and she, they gave her a hard time. And so I had to go back into the AJC archives to read more about her and her story. But some of the same things that she said were happening to her then, I could say are happening today. Yeah, and I think that it's definitely one thing that you said really stood out. The fact that you had someone had to pull you aside because the information wasn't like readily out there. Um, I feel like that that's disheartening, especially when we live in an age where technology is so readily available. Um, like I'll be honest, when preparing for this um, for this interview. Yeah. I wanted to know who, like, how many superintendents, like, looked through, like, all of the years. I couldn't even find a place where they all existed in one place, like, to say, you know, 20 years ago, this was a superintendent. And I'm just like, that that's absurd. Yeah. I mean, APS has, like, a whole archives department. And now that I've learned, I mean, again, this just happened, I, I think, since the summer, since George Floyd. Um learned so much about, I saying so much, learned even a little bit about the Cobb County School District and its history, you're like, oh, I know why y'all don't have a whole website tab about it. You know, it's like, it's shameful. I don't know that current people feel that shame, but you're talking about 11 years after Brown versus Board of Education. So, so much for law and order, right? The law was that you had to integrate your schools and we fought that for 11 years. We did not integrate our schools till 1965, right? And so um, that happened. Then you have some schools, you know, I just learned I was on a, on a call with um, Mr. Hutchins, our newest board member, and um, he was mentioning the, the first black uh, student to attend Pebble Brook. That was in 1970. Okay. So, you know, you start talking about these years and you're like, oh my goodness, like, you know, like, you know, Trey was bored uh, just uh, several years after that. I was bored a few years after him. Like, we're talking about 
like 10 minutes ago. Okay. So anyone that is not being realistic about the, the aftermath, if you will, you know, or the, you know, there's an earthquake and then there's like the smaller earthquakes that happen, you know, it's like the, how all of that at the time fighting against integration, the fact that schools were just being integrated in 1970, if not later, you know, what that, the impact that that has on our school district today. If you cannot have that conversation, then I don't, I think it's educational malpractice. Like that is, that is, that should be, we should be at the leaders of that conversation. And like, that is none of our, that's not our fault, right? Like none of us that are here now, we're on that board talking about like, you know, we're not, we're not letting black kids in here, you know? And that even in 1965, there was the one that said no. (laughs) So it's just like, that's not, that's not us. That's not our fault. However, we're here now and we got some mess to clean up just like we've had in this country since forever. Um, And so are we of a maturity level? Are we of a a caring level um, that we are willing to do that work of cleaning up mess. And unfortunately the answer right now has been, no, we're not, we're not trying to do that. Um, but, but yeah, Cobb has some, I mean, that's some crazy stuff right there, you know? And again, law and order. It's not about the law, it's about order. It's about social order, you know, and keeping people um, in place. And it's just, oh, this is some, some crazy stuff here, so. And our kids know about it, by the way, because when they, uh, you know, they're trying to change the name of Wheeler. And um, I mean, these children, I mean, it's just so impressive. I mean, so freaking impressive. And I, it, it, I, one of the hardest things about all this has been that when we have kids who exhibit those skills that we should only hope that our kids can, you know, they can actually grasp and, and put forth, it's like, we we just we just tell them to go like sit down somewhere. It happened with the um, uh, after um, Parkland when there was the the walkout, you know, for gun safety, and it's happening now with this Wheeler name change. Um, you know, those kids have just been beyond impressive, and it is a again diverse uh, group of kids and and alumni and others that are coming together to say like. All they're asking for is for us to have the committee that will at least study it. They're, you can't ask them right now, like, what the, should the name be? Like, they don't know. They're not, they're not there yet. And that's not, like, they're doing everything right and they're still being shut out. And so they were giving us, again, as the adults, right, as the leaders, the, um, the ask for us to then take it away and do what we needed to do as board members to, um, to, to just at least, you know, acknowledge it and, you know, a, a commitment uh, to at least study the issue yeah. and, you know, present something to them. And they have just been, I mean, they're just, they're just, you know, flat out amazed that we have just been the way we have been. Because <laughs> I think they just knew it was, this is our board and we're kids and you all try to teach us to be a certain way and we feel like we're being that way. And um, so why are you, why are you treating us this way? So. And I feel like with the torch being passed to yeah. our younger generation, because as you mentioned, they are, they see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
what I've um, myself tried to do is be more conscious. Like a lot of people I feel like around black history, they're so quick to throw up a Ruby Bridges um, picture. And I'm like, you know that she's only 66 years old. Like, right. So, and don't let black and white photos confuse you because this happened in a time where there were color photos um, and that is done intentionally. So I think that when we have young people who are, basically calling out um, injustices that we need to validate at least their concerns um, and have conversations around that because eventually these people will become the, the leaders of our society. And so do we want them to have as adults to have kind of this mindset, well, I spoke up before and nobody paid attention. So do I need to be silenced? Um, and so I feel like definitely, um, I applaud those, um, the group of students and anyone who's really gotten involved because I feel like conversations need to happen. Push and change don't come um, from the people who are satisfied. It comes from the people who are dissatisfied, the people who um, you know, really are not, who feel the inequities because if you're from privilege, whether that be from a money standpoint, racial standpoint, um, ability standpoint, you're not going to know that it's a problem because you're in your comfort zone. So you need other people to call you out. And then to just being receptive. And I feel like a lot of the times that's where um, like our board kind of definitely needs some work um, to just be receptive to conversations. And I, I'm so happy to have um, you as um, my representation um, because you you really do embody the things that you mentioned in being a change maker. Like you don't expect change to happen overnight, um, but you're in it for the long haul. So I certainly want to applaud you and thank you so much for taking the time to um, speak with me today. Um, where can people reach you if they, um, you know, like want to follow you on social yeah. media or have questions? Uh, yeah, so I have um, Sharice Davis for Cobb County Schools is the Facebook page. So you should be able to search for that. And I, I try to post things pretty often on there. Um, I also have people messaging me on there. But, you know, anything formal really should come through our email. Um, that way there's a record of it, um, documentation, and um, that is cdavis.boardmember at cobk12.org. Also, um, I have a website, Davis for Cobb, and on there, if you're not on Facebook, because um, apparently there are a few people who aren't on Facebook, um, you can see the Facebook scroll on there and not, you know, have a Facebook account. And um, also there's a, a place to sign up for a monthly newsletter. I try to do it monthly, but it's just more of a recap um, that I also do on my, on my Facebook page. So again, just trying to help people connect with the information and, and connect with me. I used to do town halls and, and coffee meetups on the weekends. And so I look forward to, to bringing all of that back when, um, you know, COVID is, is hopefully in our rearview mirror, but, um, yeah, in the meantime, you know, I'm around and, and love to hear from, from people in the community. Well, again, thank you so much and you have a good rest of the day. Okay. This is great. Thank you so much. If you found value in this episode, please share it and use the hashtag GirlLiveUnleashed. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. 
And as always, remember to break through anything to get clear, feel aligned, and be confident in living life to your fullest potential.